that represents love, the ultimate love of God that he might send his only son for us. Called the angel's candle, the fourth candle of Advent is lit the Sunday before Christmas, leading us to eagerly await the new kingdom of God. John 3:16, verse 19 and 36. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not judged. The one who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. In verse 36, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. For many, Christmas is not that joyous of a time. Uh, many for whom Christmas brings uh, nostalgia uh, that is temporary or neurosis uh, that is unhealthy. And by neurosis, I mean you see people frantically running around uh, grabbing and buying things that they don't know what they're really buying for people they don't really know that well to give them stuff that they really don't need. Uh, and it's that neurosis that we uh, get caught up in. And for those for whom nights um, are lonely um, because of a loss of a loved one or because of separation from family. And so for those people and for many of us, uh, we miss the, the real impact the spiritual impact of what Christmas is all about. And in Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, Paul shares how the incarnation made possible our reconciliation. Uh, and the reconciliation is taking a, a relationship of enmity and making it one of peace and goodwill. And so with, uh, with God, he made his reconciliation with God possible. And our adoption uh, in, into the family of God. And so Paul argues... In Galatians, uh, the entire book, he argues that a man is not justified by the works of the law, uh, not made right before God by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. And in chapter 3, Paul commends faith, not works, in gaining favor with God. You, he says, are all, that's Jew and Gentile, uh, sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. It's only faith in Christ that transforms our very being and brings us into God's family. And so the story of redemption from slavery, that purchasing out of slavery in sin to relationship with God, to his sonship, is inextricably bound or related to the birth of Jesus. And so in Galatians chapter 4 verses 1 through 7, there are two stanzas that combine to explain how God has acted in history especially through the Incarnation, to bring us into his family. There's two stanzas. And the first stanza is this. First of all, our rights as physical sons. In verses 1 and 2, he says, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ from, at all from the slave, although he is owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. But this morning, we're going to focus on the second stanza. And the second stanza, the first is our rights as physical sons, the second is our reception as spiritual sons and daughters. Don't, ladies, don't, you know, we're not being overly sexist here, it's just in, in relationship, but sons and daughters of God. 
And that's in verses 4 through 7, but we're going to focus on verses 4 and 5. In verse 3, he says, So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem us out from under the law, so that we might become adopted as his children. So we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son into your heart, saying, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And so this morning we're going to have uh, four different gentlemen come. Uh, we're going to do some singing. We're going to have uh, four different guys come. And they're going to share a little bit about each one of the, the, the details, the four factors that are involved in our sonship and our reception as sons. And so, uh, let's go ahead and, and sing, uh, what's the hymn? Number 136, and hopefully everybody got a red hymnal on your way in. 136, the first Noel. Used to sneak in off the stage when the music ends, but... I'm sneaking onto it to talk about God's promise. So God made a lot of promises, did he not? There's one in particular that we're gonna that I'm gonna talk about today, one that was fulfilled when the fullness of time had come two thousand years ago in the birth of Jesus. So where and when was this promise first made? Well it was made in the garden at the beginning of history, at the dawn of of history. The first gospel sermon is found in Genesis 3.15, actually, and it's preached by God himself. The main audience was, oddly, Satan, but it was within earshot of Adam and Eve and eventually the rest of us. So God told the serpent, after his deception led Adam and Eve to fall into sin, I will make enemies of you and the woman and of your offspring and her descendant. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So there's two points I want to draw out of this. One that's God's promise set the stage for our Redeemer. And secondly, God's promised Redeemer has set us free. So first, the stage is set. Ever since Genesis 3, we know that the children of Satan and the children of Eve have been at war. So, who are Satan's children? Uh, Satan's offspring, I believe, are his followers. For example, Jesus in John 8, 44, called the Pharisees uh, children of the devil. Ouch. And Matthew 12, 34, a brood of vipers. So, who is this descendant with a capital D that's referred to here? The ultimate descendant or seed or offspring, depending on the version that you're looking at, of Eve is Jesus. Uh, the promise set the stage for the first advent for a redeemer to come to our rescue. So Jesus Christ, we know, was born to die. In that death, Satan struck the heel of God. But Christ sealed his victory, and ultimately ours, over sin in his resurrection. And in his second advent, yet to come, we will have the ultimate victory over Satan. Jesus will strike the final blow to the head of the serpent. So all this is from a promise, a promise and a plan. 
So here's an encouraging truth. God didn't leave mankind to languish without hope for centuries. As soon as, as soon as we had fallen into sin, God made a plan and he made a promise to provide the solution. The Messiah was promised many times, we know, through the Old Testament scriptures. And Isaiah 59 verse 20 promises that specifically a redeemer will come. And 61.1 says he will come to proclaim release to captives and freedom to prisoners. Which leads to the second point. God's promised redeemer came to set us free. To deliver us from the slavery brought on by man's sin in Genesis 3. Now some have suggested that the Bible's description of slavery initiated by humans indicates a prescription by God of slavery, that somehow scripture condones slavery. Uh, but the entire arc, the entire trajectory of God's word points to our freedom from slavery, from sin. That's possible only in Jesus Christ. So in the next chapter, Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So we are no longer bound by the law's requirement, a standard we couldn't meet anyway. So our theme passage in Galatians 4 makes it clear that as unredeemed sinners, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world in verse 3 of Galatians 4 that Steve read. But as adopted sons and daughters, we are no longer slaves. That's verse 7. No longer a slave to sin. So thank God Almighty we are free at last. This freedom was promised in the beginning, was prophesied through history and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So question for you, is there anything God can't do? I, I disagree. Yes, but God can break a promise. That's something he can't do. He already proved that, that he can't break a promise in providing Jesus, who came by God's promise and who came to set us free. So I hope this gives us a, a joy and hope that extends well beyond Christmas season. Thank you. So in celebration of that, we will sing number 151. 151, Good Christian Men Rejoice. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. God sent forth his son. In the beginning was the word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men born of a woman. Mary was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take your wife. Mary, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. Born under the law, you, therefore, must be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I, Jesus, said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. The words that I say to you, Jesus speaking, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but I speak as the Father who dwells in me and do his works. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. His disciples asked, what manner of man is this? He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto the point of death, even death on a cross. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in a time of need. With the exceptions of the parts that I messed up, that was all taken from the promises that we have in God's word that you were talking about, Mike. And in the last couple of minutes, I just want to say these things. We talk a lot today about what do we identify as. Just look today at what Jesus identified with. He identified himself with his enemies. He identified himself with servitude. He identified himself with obedience to his father. He identified himself with us. His name was Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, immutable, unchangeable God, become man. God could not feel shame at the rumors of his birth unless he was born in the way that he was. God cannot grow and learn unless he emptied himself first. God could not know the wet sting of tears unless he took a body with eyes. God could not know the effect of hunger and thirst on moral resolve or a will to do the Father's will unless he had a body that felt those things. Emmanuel, God, walked with us then. Emmanuel, God, sends his spirit now. Emmanuel, God, Jesus, be with us now. Amen. Okay, now we will sing number 166, which 
speaks in a fair amount of detail about some of the gifts that we can bring to this Emmanuel. Mike started talking about the promise, Ryan talking about the person, and then there is the purpose, the purpose of uh, Christ coming at that right time. Looking back at the, uh, the talk we're giving today, everything has a purpose. Everyone has a purpose. In my pocket, I have keys. They all have a purpose. They open doors. At home, I have a workshop. I have a whole bunch of tools. Every single one of them has a purpose. Even my snowblower, which eventually I'll get to use. And if we don't have a purpose for something, we would get rid of it. We would discard it. And as Christians, we have a purpose. We are placed upon this earth to glorify God to evangelize, to tell people about the good news, to lift each other up in our body of believers and to encourage each other. That's our Christian purpose. We all have a purpose here. We don't always live up to our purposes, just like all my tools don't live up to their purposes, but God has grace and mercy for us that we will eventually rise to the purpose that he has created us. If you look at um, the second verse, we, um, Pastor Steve started us off with Galatians 4, 5, so that he might redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. Redeem. He is the redeemer. He has paid the ransom for us. So if you're a slave to sin, if you have, are in bondage, if you're a prisoner, you're not going anywhere. You're stuck. You can't get out. That's the whole idea. And we're a slave to Satan. And as non-Christians, before we have the good news, we're stuck there. But Jesus paid the price. He redeemed you. Looking back to Isaiah 44, 24, this is what the Lord says. He who is your redeemer and the one who formed you from the womb... I, the Lord, am the maker of all things, stretching out the heavens by myself and spreading out the earth alone. Okay, only God can do this. Nothing else. Nothing that you might think is good enough. Nothing that you might think is cool enough. No one in your life is as powerful as God. He made everything. He made you and Amazingly enough, he cares deeply about you, that he would sacrifice his son to pay your price, to pardon you from death. Looking at Matthew 20, 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It was a price, it was a high price. Christ, all God, but all man. He took upon him a beating that I can't even imagine. He took upon himself death on a cross. And it says that to be on a cross, to be hung on a tree is cursed. Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. He took on our curse on himself. And looking at 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, for there is one God, and one mediator also between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, 
who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. The proper time. In Galatians, we said the fullness of time. And about this, God is always intentional. God makes no mistakes. God doesn't make garbage. He doesn't make trash. He doesn't screw up. He doesn't do anything wrong. He's perfect. He has a plan that is a perfect plan. Jesus paid the price at the right time in history. Everyone in this room is here for a purpose. And God doesn't make a mistake in that regard. Everything in here is for a purpose. But we have a responsibility to have a response. If you haven't, welcome Christ into your heart. If you have not accepted this ransom that he paid for you, well, you're still in prison. Satan might make the walls pretty. The bars don't look exactly like prison bars, but you're still a captive. And you are sitting in a prison cell, captive to Satan, while Christ paid the price to release you. Your ransom's been paid. Now imagine you're sitting in a prison cell, a literal prison cell, but you're, you've been paid. You're free to go. You're free to leave. Would you still sit there? Would you still sit in the prison cell? I hope not. We are all children of God. seen for some time. Good to have you all. Uh, I'm going to be talking a little bit about uh, a place. Uh, what's our place? You know, God has given everybody a place, and why is it important to know what your place is? Um, just some thoughts come to mind. When you know what your place is, it gives you security, it gives you confidence, it gives you comfort, um, gives you peace. Have you ever been uh, told, uh, hey, come, take your place in line? That's kind of a good feeling, you know? And uh, have you ever been told, hey, take your place in this company? You've been awarded a new job, and you have a place in this company. You know, when I was a kid growing up, uh, I had my place in the, in the family car. Maybe you can relate to that. We had <laughs> mom and dad and four kids, and I sat behind my mom. My little brother sat in the middle, my older brother sat behind my dad, and my sister sat in the middle, in front. So a place is important. It's important to know what your place is. And do you know that God has a place, you know, for every one of us? We are called his sons. We are called his children. We are called his family. We are called his household. So let's look at a few verses that kind of back up, uh, you know, what your place is. We've turned to Galatians chapter 4 a lot already this morning. Let's look at Galatians 4 verse 5 again. It says, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit 
of his Son to our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. You know, we think of John chapter 1, uh, verse 12. To as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the children of God. What a beautiful thing it is. So your place, when you know Jesus as your Savior, you are a son, you're a child of God, and a daughter of God. Let's look up a couple more verses to support this. Ephesians chapter 1. Um, look at verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus in accordance to his will and his pleasure. I'd like to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, As in Christ God forgave you, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice. Then look at uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. Kind of gives us a little bit of an idea of what we are supposed to do now that we're, you know, in God's family, a child of God. Ephesians 5, 8 through 10. For you were once in darkness, but now you're in the light of the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the light of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. So it's kind of our job now is in God's family. Find out what it is. Mike talked about, you know, our purpose. We have a purpose, too. I'd encourage you to get in the Word every day. Don't miss a day, you know, that you're not in God's Word. To give you direction, instruction for how to live your life as part of God's family. You know, we all have the privilege to be called sons of God. You know, Jesus, as you know, is the son of God. So think about that. God calls us sons. He called Jesus his sons. What, what an awesome privilege it is to be called a son or child of God. We have a place in God's family. So as we're together, you know, family time and Christmas time, Let's love one another. We're all brothers and sisters in God's family. Let's have the peace of God rule in our hearts as we enjoy, you know, fellowship with one another as children of God. So may God bless uh, this time together. And we're going to actually give thanks now for the communion that's before us. Remember the Lord that he suffered and he died and took our place. And we're going to give thanks for the bread and the wine or the juice and the this is uh, for those that really trust in God as the Lord Jesus as their Savior. If you don't quite know him yet, maybe now's a great time to just pray and receive Christ as your Savior and join us in communion. But ask the Lord to come into your life and your heart and forgive your sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a beautiful time this morning. We could sing and we could pray. We could read your word, be blessed by your spirit. And we love you so much. You gave us 
So many things, Lord, promises, plans, purpose, a place. We love you so much. Thank you, Jesus. That's all because of you. You died, you suffered, and you bled for us. And we take this communion. We remember that. We offer you our thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. person for a purpose that we might have a place with him. And God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven where meek souls will receive him still. The dear Christ enters in. Many of us will receive one of these in the next few days. You know what this is? Yeah, it's a gift card. All right. You're going to get that. And maybe it'll be wrapped in a big box. Maybe it won't be. Maybe it'll just be in your stocking. Maybe it'll just be given to you in a fancy envelope like this. But it's a gift card. Now, what does a gift card represent? It represents a price that's been paid for merchandise at a store that is yours for the taking. It's already been paid. So you have to just pick out the, pick out the stuff. It's in the store for your possession. But you must use the card. Now, how many of us have received these and not used them? Yeah. Or you use them, just a little secret, if you don't use them for a certain amount of time, the, 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 the nasty little gift card people have devised a plan to take your money, okay? So it starts uh, reducing the amount that you can redeem on this card uh, with the given, given amount of time. So redeem it. Take it in and get it. It's been, it's been redeemed. The same is true for your soul. Your soul has been redeemed. The price has been paid. A promise was given through a person for the purpose, in Galatians 4, 5, for the redeeming of, of, of us so that we might become children of God into the place of God's family. But in the same way the incarnation was for the purpose of our redemption, he paid the price to release us from the slavery of sin by dying on the cross, which we just remembered, must be received. The end goal of our adoption into God's family, the end goal is our adoption as those who've been forgiven. And the gifts of redemption, the gifts, how do we redeem what Christ has done for us? Galatians 3.26 says this, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We're all born... And in that sense, we are kind of like 
God's creation, but we're not his children in the spiritual biblical sense until we have accepted by faith what Christ did on the cross, until we take the gift card which Christ paid on the cross and apply it to our life. And we do that by faith. And how do we do that by faith? Well, I think the best way I know how is just to pray and just say, Lord, I admit to you that I'm kind of a, a rebel, an unrighteous rebel in my attitudes and my actions. And I deserve your wrath. But I believe in my heart that Christ died on the cross and that he paid the price to make me right with you. I accept what he did for me as the payment I deserve. And I confess with my mouth that he now is my Lord. I'm no longer Lord of my own life. He is my Lord. And I turn from my self-directed life and I trust and, and surrender to him and what he's done for me. And I yield my life to him. Now, what you say in that prayer isn't magic. You know, there's not some script that you can write. It's a matter of your heart. Surrendering your will and your way to Christ and God and accepting what he did on the cross. If you confess with your mouth, Paul says, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from our sin. For with the heart, uh, we, we believe resulting in righteousness. With the mouth, we confess resulting in salvation. And so that's my prayer for you at this Christmas, that if you have never fully accepted the gift that Christ gave on, in that, as a babe in that manger living and dying on a cross to pay the price, do so today. It's no better gift that you can receive than adoption as his son to a place now as his children with an inheritance that's coming, an inheritance that he says is incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, that's reserved in heaven for you. And you just do it by prayer. And I invite you to do it. So I'm going to bow my head. I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm just going to pray a prayer. If it expresses the desire of your heart, I just invite you to pray it with me. If you've already prayed this prayer, then you pray that others might. Father in heaven, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus as a babe in a manger. And where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. And I pray now, Lord, I just ask that you would... Uh, Invite, I invite anyone who's, who's here this morning who, who's never fully done that, I just pray that they would pray these things silently while I pray them out loud. Lord, I accept the fact that I admit that I am a, a rebel in my attitudes and my actions. I've gone my own way. I've not gone your way fully. And I, can, I believe that Jesus died on the cross and his death paid the debt that I'd owed so that I could be made right with God. And I can't do that on my own. And I believe that he rose again from the dead, proving that he conquered sin and death. And I accept now, Father, that, that he did that, and I confess you now as my Lord and my Savior, and I turn from my self-directed life, and I surrender myself to you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love to hear about it. If not, just tell somebody in your family it's the best thing that you could do is to know the Christ as your Savior and Lord. And we're going to all stand now and we're going to close our service in, with hymn number 147, Silent Night. And then you're welcome to stick around and join us for some fellowship and some, some goodies. So.
morning, Lord willing, if you want to join us tonight at 5.30, we'll be talking about God's indescribable gift. Have a blessed Christmas. You're dismissed. Thank you.